The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. A few years ago, something quite remarkable happened in New Zealand fashion. A new brand came out of Aotearoa and debuted straight onto Neta Porter, one of the most coveted doors in the world, with its debut collection. This was pretty amazing. They'd never taken a debut collection, let alone from New Zealand. It was no one off. The collection sold amazingly and became an it woman uniform around the world. Designer and founder Maggie Hewitt was shortlisted for one of fashion's biggest prizes and has built on that success with years of growth as a business and brand. Maggie Marilyn has become a pioneer in sustainable luxury, being New Zealand-made and shining a light on better production practices. Recently, the brand has also moved to become carbon positive and has released lines that are more affordable and that run to larger sizes, two accessibility issues the industry often struggles with. To talk the journey, making it work from New Zealand and what's next, Maggie Marilyn founder and designer, Maggie Hewitt joins us by Zoom. Tenakwe, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this chat with you via Zoom. We'll see how it goes with all the buffering, the joys. <laughs> hey, so t- take me back to the beginning. Like, how did it first, um, the kind of famous start, um, going straight from fashion college at your debut collection and on to kind of the best door in the world? How did that happen? um yes it sounds a little crazy doesn't it um so I was I was lucky enough to be introduced through a family friend to um Netaporte um who sent my first lookbook to some of the buyers there um and yeah they were they were pretty interested in the first collection and so uh serendipitously they were going to Australian Fashion Week for the first time I think this was 2016 and they I met with them there tried to act very important like I had lots of other meetings um but I had my heart set on um Net-a-Porte. it's kind of funny the power of I'm I'm really into the power of positive thinking and manifesting your dreams and actually a few months earlier I had slotted my name of where it would sit on the list of designers on Net-a-Porte kind of sounds a little bit crazy. Um, but I was really manifesting 
you know, picking up that retailer. And then I, I finally got the opportunity to actually meet with them in person and show them my first collection that I had worked on straight out of university. And, uh, yeah, they, they loved it. And so, um, yeah, within, within a few weeks, we kind of had an order. And I guess we were off to a roaring start, really, being picked up by a global retailer. Ah, and that well, they were kind of an exclusive retailer for you um, overseas in that first go as well, hey? And that's really rare too. Like, um, yeah, what was it like being in amongst that whirlwind? Um, as I imagine not many other people from your class uh, at, at Wycliffe for having the same experiences of um, fashion going so well straight out of, out of the blocks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny to look on it, look back on it now, I guess, um, and be able to, uh, yeah, realize what an amazing start, I guess, that was and the platform that it gave the brand and, and all the values and the mission that I kind of set out with. Uh, but yeah, I think it didn't come out without its challenges. You know, I was 21 when I started Maggie Marilyn and I'm a creative first and I really, didn't know the first thing about the operational side of, of how to produce collections or how to run a business or how to be a leader and manage a team. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a, a steep learning curve. That's for sure. Yeah. And tell me about that first collection. Like what was it, um, that caught the eye and set you out into that journey? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think, they, they they obviously felt like I had a unique perspective. I think um, the the reason for, for founding Maggie Marilyn and what we were setting out to achieve, I guess, they, they saw that as a unique point of difference. You know, I really wanted to be able to create uh, beautiful clothing that uh, didn't have a negative impact on the people involved in the supply chain or the environment. And I think at the time... Uh, that was, uh, you know, rarer. There was always this sort of trade-off if you wanted to buy, I guess, ethically or more responsibly than the product didn't actually look that great. Um, and I really believed that 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 didn't have to be the case, that, that you didn't have to, you know, compromise on beautiful design um, just for your values and wanted to create a space where the two could coexist. And so, yeah, I think that was our unique selling proposition at the beginning. Yeah, because I remember when it um, began and, it, you know, that's, that's so interesting that sometimes you had to co compromise either one way or the other. But also often sustainable um, clothing wasn't necessarily bright and vibrant and with lots of silks and, you know, candy cane prints, you know, all kinds of, um, uh, you, you know, like kind of really exciting, vibrant, colourful, um, unashamedly kind of fun um, clothing that also had that sustainability mission. T tell me about how you came to begin the label with that kind of twin focus, I guess, on um, l luxury and also sustainability. Yeah, good question. Uh, I I always say I could have been a very different designer if I didn't go to the university that I went to. I think that was such a formative part of um, who I would become as a designer and a businesswoman, I believe. Uh, you know, I, I, I believe I always had a consciousness for um, appreciating the environment around me, but it was only once I really 
got to university where this very unglamorous curtain was pulled back on what fashion was truly responsible for. And I, yeah, at first I was pretty disheartened. I definitely had moments where I, I didn't know whether or not I actually wanted to be a part of the industry. But I think towards my final year, I guess the entrepreneurial spirit in me saw a gap in the market for how could I still create product that could empower the wearer and that I would want to wear and that, you know, I've got three sisters and my mum would want to wear uh, that yet yeah, didn't have a negative impact on everyone involved in the supply chain and that could uh, eventually have a regenerative impact on the planet. And so I guess, yeah, we're talking five years ago, you know, we celebrate um, five years this September and yeah, it's kind of crazy how far the conversation around sustainability has come in fashion, you know, five years ago. Uh, it still wasn't all that common for brands to talk about uh, transparency within their supply chain uh, or circularity or regeneration, these sort of topics that we speak to at Maggie Marilyn. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I identified, I guess, a, a gap in the market and, and set out very naively to, to fill that gap. Yeah, and you're so bang on that five in five years it's come a long way. As it wasn't just that people didn't want to talk about it; they actively wanted to kind of hide from it. And the oh, totally. you know the base kind of um, you, the base units of fashion, um, things like cotton and people making things, are, are just so exploitative and so harmful to all the people and all the processes pretty much ev everywhere. Um, you, you know, it's, it's absolutely remarkable how far it's come in a few years. How, how did you go mm. about um, being a small label from New Zealand, being able to start these conversations about things like your supply chain and like transparency in um, materials as those are really difficult conversations and really difficult things to lead uh, as a small company. Mm, I mean, I guess five years doesn't sound like that long, but at the same time, the, this conversation, I guess, hasn't just happened overnight. You know, I think slowly but surely it's, it's, um, it's grown. The conversation has grown in the industry to what it is today. And I think especially pre-COVID, you know, in 2019, I would say sustainability was definitely the biggest buzzword um, that was used throughout the year. So, yeah, I like I said, I, I believe um, I do believe in timing and, and having a little bit of luck and then how you make the most of that opportunity. And I think that starting Maggie Marilyn when I did um, almost five years ago, the timing, I was, I was pretty lucky with that, you know? I mean, I think that there's lots of people that have been on this journey for a long time. So um, a mixture of, of timing and a little bit of luck to be given the platform through the likes of a global retailer like Annette Porte, and then picking up further global retailers from that. Um, I was also really lucky to be introduced to our PR consultant who's based in New York and, and he started with me before we launched uh, and he's been a, re a really pivotal part of um, 
breaking down the conversation, you know, uh, around what responsibility and fashion means and looks like and how we make that digestible to the consumer. Because I think it's one thing to talk to, um, you know, fashion press about this topic and then it's another for it to resonate with our community and our customer. So, yeah. And, and how do you do that? Because sustainability... Um, I don't know, it can be a bit daggy. It can be a bit kind of lentils and um, and jute bags, you know? And so how do you make it kind of a glamorous thing? Yeah, I mean, I think that's through the product that we were able to create. You know, we always talk about this funnel at Maggie Marilyn, whether or not people find Maggie Marilyn because they, they love the product and they buy that first, or they came to us because of our values and that's why they they buy our product, both are equally and important, you know, once they're part of our community, um, then we can educate them on what's important to us. And so, yeah, I think, like I said at the beginning, I, I didn't believe there had to be a trade-off between creating beautiful clothing for our women and um, having an empowering impact on our supply chain. Uh, and that must have taken quite a lot of conviction as, you know, I've heard before that places like uh, Netapurta or, or other big international doors, they don't really want things to be made in New Zealand. They want things to be made in China so it's easier for it to fit into their global logistics chain or they want it to be made in Portugal or, you know, so somewhere that certainly isn't at the other end of the world uh, and quite an expensive air freight away. <laughs> Yes, it hasn't been an easy journey, that's for sure, Simon. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been, a, it was a challenging journey working with some of these global retailers. We always say sometimes we believe you kind of have to play the game um, and be in the game before you can understand the rules and how you can change the rules to make it much fairer for everyone. And I really believe that's what the first sort of two or three years of Maggie Marilyn was. You know, I learned at university what fashion was responsible for in terms of the supply chain of creating the product, but I had no idea how flawed the actual business model of fashion was until I was actually a part of it. Yeah, talk me through that. Like, talk me through the the kind of the fashion the the, the fashion business model and the challenges you saw with it as you recently or reasonably recently moved away from a traditional seasons and selling through those big retailer model, didn't you? What led to that? And what did you see that was wrong that you wanted to change? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, oh, how long do you have, Simon? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> long, it's been a long journey, that's for sure. But I think to put it simply, you know, we were trying to educate our customer on the importance of shopping responsi responsibly, of the importance of asking questions about where your clothing is manufactured and uh, how you know, what's involved through all the tears of the supply chain. And that was very difficult to achieve when you have this middleman. I mean, when we were selling to the likes of a Saks for Dav, uh, they still had a, a floor entirely dedicated towards selling fur. Um, so, you know, the, the challenges were real. I think at the end of the day, these big retailers uh, you know, they were still about how can we sell, 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 sell more product and make more money. And it wasn't really about how can we 
make a positive impact on on the people involved in the supply chain or how can we lower our environmental impact or how are we going to revolutionize the fashion industry um and so i i think i learned that pretty quickly into our wholesale journey that if we really wanted to stand behind our mission and have that conviction of the change that we wanted to make in this industry which is entirely the reason I started a business you know I didn't start Maggie Marilyn just because I thought that I could create a better blazer than someone else you know or I wanted to create beautiful clothing I mean I still really believe in the power of clothing and what it can do for the wearer but for me um you know, we had to start back up the supply chain and we had to figure out how we were going to clean up this industry that was um, a pretty dirty one. And yeah, I think I I realized that the only way we were going to get there was speaking directly to our customer because I really believe in the power of education and I believe in the goodness of people. You know, I think that once you know what's involved in the fashion supply chain and and how most clothing is manufactured I do believe people want um to to buy better and and make a better decision better decision making around uh how they consume and what they um support but yeah that that wasn't yeah. going to happen through a middleman well yeah it's it's interesting isn't it because lots of people do say that they want something more sustainable but then Price is often, you know, a really key component. And, um, you know, it's quite remarkable when places like Saks, uh, you, you know, or big, big, you know, places with very um, high prices, the only way that you can kind of, you know, make more money out of things is to get the cost of labour or the cost of goods down in the end, which means that you go to bad production processes and materials that are harmful to people and the planet. And so how do you go from, yeah, from from that environment, what kind of things did you build that meant that you could not go to cheaper production practices and and, and more harmful materials? But also, like, um, really interesting in the context of somewhere, like, look at that price thing as well, because that's the other great big kind of accessibility and privilege thing in all of these conversations is that, you know, know, like, most um, very thoughtful fashion is very unattainable to the average buyer. Absolutely. And I think... um you know, what I was saying before, there's such a trickle down effect of, you know, why the supply chain of fashion is so dirty because of how the business uh, of fashion actually operates. And I'm, I'm more speaking to the global sort of wholesale business. And I guess for people that don't understand what that means, that's the likes of selling to, to the big retailers um, you know, the Farfetches, the Net-A-Portes, the Sachs, the Neiman Marcuses, the Selfridges of the world. And I think that was something that I identified pretty early on was I actually set out Maggie Marilyn to be at an accessible price point, to be honest. I When I first started, you know, there were brands working within the environmentally responsible space such as like a Stella McCartney or a Gabriella Hearst that I really admired but there wasn't many brands that were working in this sort of more um accessible luxury space I guess you could say 
And so I really identified that gap in the market, creating product that could be affordable to my friends and I, you know, it was still aspirational, I guess, but something that that we could save up for and afford. And really, um, through selling to these global retailers, you know, the the, the markup that's involved in uh, getting the product to the end consumer is huge. And I think that's something that didn't sit right with me. And I remember getting an email from someone Uh, I think we'd been going for maybe a year and she said how much she believed in our mission and the product that we were creating. Um, But she was a single mom of three and she was this wonderful woman in Tauranga and she um, she asked, yeah, she, she said it wasn't something that she could ever afford to buy into and if we would ever thought about doing something that was more accessibly price pointed. And I think that kind of moment was such a light bulb in terms of why should sustainability be a luxury? It, it should be something that everyone um, can afford to buy into. And so I guess that was really the seed towards creating our somewhere line, um, which we launched a couple of years ago, which is our... Um, evergreen essentials and and through selling direct to consumer and creating an evergreen essentials line um, we were able to bring down the price and by no means do I say we're creating a $20 t-shirt but I think we are creating a product um, whereby the customer gets the best possible product and we are empowering everyone throughout our supply chain and lessening our environmental impact um, so yeah. Kia ora katoa. Te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. As we find ourselves navigating a new outbreak and lockdown, everyone here at The Spin-Off remains committed to bringing you quality independent journalism, which, of course, includes our coverage of COVID-19. It's not an exaggeration to say we couldn't do this work without the generous support of our members. So, if you'd like to help us keep Aotearoa informed, please visit thespinoff.co.nz slash members for more details and to donate today. Yeah, and how has that move to being retail first, so starting your own retail and leaving all of those wholesale accounts um, gone for you? It must have been a big call, like most designers, especially from places very far from the centres of global tastemaking and fashion, uh, would probably have that list of retailers as the place that they were working towards, not the place that they would um, withdraw from. <laughs> yeah, I said at the time it was um, either a very courageous or stupid move. Um, and... <laughs> And it, it has definitely worked in our favor. Uh, it wasn't an easy decision to make, and it definitely wasn't a decision we made overnight. It, it probably was over the course of 18 months where we were slowly pulling away from retailers that didn't align with our values. Um, and then it was really about where where our attention was best spent. And I think operating in a wholesale business and, and being the retailer and selling direct to the customer are operationally two very different businesses. And so uh, we we decided to really forge our own path and, and do it on our own. And um, it was really a values-based decision. You know, I think um, it sounds um, idealistic, but we, we really want to build 
a business that that can be here into the future you know um we want to be here in 20 years 30 years time and i i couldn't see the road forward through partnering with international retailers but the the road was as clear as and day selling direct to the customer i knew that if we educated them on on how we manufacture our clothes and and really where we want to go as a business and what we want to achieve and how we want to shake up the industry uh i knew that that was a that was a viable business right there so so yeah we made that values based decision um last yeah june june ish i guess we we sent our last collections off in august um and opened our first store in november and yeah haven't really looked back to be honest simon it's the best decision that we ever could have made um and yeah we feel like we're in a really exciting space as a brand yeah and tell me about that kind of you know the growth journey that you've been on as you know that that you've mentioned a couple of times that education is something that you know, and people, when they find out about the situation in fashion and when they learn about these things that they'll, um, you, you know, they'll grow in things. But <laughs> it's so hard because, it, you know, all kinds of people know that the, the fast fashion they buy isn't good for the world, but people still like that little dopamine hit and the like. Um, and yeah, like, like, tell me about your growth journey as, as an observer from the outside. You know, it's remarkable to see how much, you have pioneered and made happen in the kind of telling the stories around the sustainability, but then doing the do as well in terms of mm. going from a collection that was, you know, quite unattainable to most to now having things in the store that are a couple of hundred dollars, but that have a really strong sustainability um, lineage and people can see the stories of the makers and the process. And, mm. you know, that's an enormous kind of um, change of business operations and making new things happen. <laughs> um, yeah, how do you Absolutely. go about... How do you go about kind of making new things happen and um, and being in a in a space to grow like that? I think something that has been a guiding light for me is is continually having that northern star of what we're working towards at Maggie Marilyn. I think having a um, a greater purpose as a as a business has been incredibly important in those really tough times. Um, because yeah, the, the challenges are relentless, you know, and I think that, yeah, th- we've changed a lot in the last five years, you know, but I think the mission has never changed. We, we, you know, I always set out to make a positive impact on this industry and, and that's a slightly audacious goal being, um, you know, from a very small town, from a very small country at the bottom of the world. But um, I love that that quote that those who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world um, actually do. And I think I've always, um, you know, believed in, um, yeah, but I, I guess back to myself, you know, even in the really tough times that, that, I think being in business is about being a problem solver, being solutions orientated. Um, and yeah, like I said, I think that I'm heavily led by my intuition and, and what feels right. And I think, 
getting into this industry and being part of the global wholesale, you know, seasonal fashion calendar, something in my gut just didn't feel right. I just honestly couldn't see the road forward. There were so many roadblocks and I, um, that was pretty challenging. You know, like you said, it's most designers dreams. I mean, it was mine, you know, I can remember going to New York for the first time when I was a teenager and walking into Saks and, dreaming of my clothes being um, housed in those department stores but um, the reality was really different to the dream and I think I've never lost sight of why I'm in business and um, you know it's not just to make beautiful clothes and make a ton of money it was really uh, to change this industry that in all honesty honestly isn't responsible for a lot of good you know, um, what's involved in the making and the the production process and the, um, how we take advantage of developing countries and the, the effect that we're having on the planet and the fact that we're in a climate crisis, I think could never sit right with me. And so it's just been a, a process of, um, trying something it not working, trying something else, you know, I think that that's what entrepreneurship is um, at the end of the day, you know, is kind of failing fast and moving on. Yeah, and tell me about the concrete steps that as a business you've had to, to do to do some of this stuff, like becoming carbon positive, for example. What's actually involved with that? Yeah, I mean, I think what's important to us at Maggie Marilyn is actually being able to measure our impacts as a business. You know, when we say we're in business to make a positive difference and to have a regenerative impact on the environment, we actually need to be able to back that up by uh, by science and by facts. And so we, we set out in 2019 to um, map what our CO2 emissions were as a business. And that was a really, uh, a really challenging process, you know, um, it, it, it took, a, it took, uh, the best part of six months to map that for the year of 2019. And then, uh, once we had those baseline admissions, we set out to reduce those by 30%. And at the time that seemed really ambitious. And when we were going through the process of being able to, to, to reduce our admissions, we found the challenges really lay in our current business model and how we were sea freighting our fabrics back down here to New Zealand to manufacture and then sea freighting, sea freighting our, sorry, air freighting our finished product back to the other side of the world and how were we going to reduce these emissions and the best way that we could was to sea freight. But that added time and and time wasn't a luxury that we had. You know, we would we would sell to our global retailers in February and have to deliver in May. And it takes the best part of you know getting fabric from Europe to New Zealand, um, you know, anywhere from eight to ten weeks. So this just wasn't possible. And so that was another reason behind making the values decision to move away from wholesale and sell direct to our consumers, so that we could really slow down. Uh, our manufacturing cycle in order to align with our values. Um, and so now we, we see freight everything and we, we work with much, much longer lead times so that we can lessen our environmental impact. So when we remapped our carbon for 2020, 
we actually made a reduction of 73% uh, just through, yeah, really changing our business model away from so much air freight to sea freight. And so, yeah, that was pretty exciting. Ah, that's awesome. And um, as a last kind of thought, what will success be for you and also for the business? Yeah, big question. Um, you know, I really believe in order um, for us to create revolutionary change in this world, which is what we've set out to do, you know, we have to prioritise the intersections between people and the planet. Um, and I think my dream at Maggie Marilyn goes far beyond creating beautiful clothes, uh, but we really want to find solutions. Um, and to be able to prove that prioritizing, you know, the well-being of people and the planet uh, does create commercial prosperity. Uh, so, so, yeah, we're starting with fashion first and then... Yeah, trust me. Um, yeah, we're really just getting started. Ah, that's so cool. Well, thank you, Maggie Hewitt, for joining us today. That's the founder and designer at Maggie Marilyn and sharing your story. Kia ora. Thanks so much, Simon. Thank you so much to Tei Hape Butler for producing and thank you, everyone, for having us along in your ears and listening. Cheers. Take care out there. You've been listening to Business is Boring. Presented by Simon Pound. Brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Tired of diesel buses? Want more cycle lanes or bus lanes? Which projects do you want Auckland Transport to work on first? They need your opinion. So head to haveyoursay.at.govt.nz forward slash RLTP to do just that. Consultation closes on 17 June. Get in quick. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.